Well, thank you, worship team, and hello, everyone. It really is great to see you here, and for those joining online, thank you for joining us. I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible or a device, to turn to John chapter 1. We are in week two of our series as we are going through the book of John, and this book was written 2,000 years ago by a follower of Jesus named John, and the purpose of this book for you and for me is that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, we might have life in his name. God made you to be in union with him, to have a relationship with him for all eternity. It's the greatest news in the world. Today, 2,000 years after this letter was written, uh, we find ourselves where God is still at work around our world. God is still bringing people to faith in him. People are still bowing the knee to Jesus, but we're going to learn today God uses you and me. In today's text, we're going to find that those first followers of Jesus were invited to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to share Jesus. And you too are called or invited into a relationship with him, to know him, to follow him, and to share him. Now the challenge for us, we're going to talk about this today, uh, the challenge for us is that sharing part. As I go through life, I want to know more of who Jesus is, and I know for myself, I'm just scratching the surface as to who he is, uh, and I'm to, to follow him, I'm to be changed by him, and uh, I'm still a work in progress, but I'm also to share him. And lately, in the last number of years, our culture, because it's so strong, is saying to us, don't share Jesus with us. And that's a burden that we as elders here at the church have had for a little while now. And we have purposed that we will be intentional in the days ahead to share Jesus with this world, even though they don't want to hear it. Uh, we're in a culture that says life is about you, that, uh, that your purpose in life, how you live your life, it's all, you make the decisions. In fact, one survey, um, this was uh, looking at people in the West, in, the, in, the, in North America, that one survey said that 84% of people identified the highest goal in life that it was to enjoy themselves. I want to ask you, if you're a parent, is that what you are sharing with your child? The, the whole purpose of your life, it's about you, and this short little where flowers quickly fading, it's about just to be happy. Friends, that is so small. We weren't created for that. Life is not about us. And that's what we hear in our culture over and over again, that God is not relevant. In fact, just saw this yesterday. Got the little reminder, we are God. I was walking last night with my wife uh, into Shoppers Drug Mart here in town, walked through the, the door, and there was a signboard um, about perfume. Now, I don't usually look at signboards about perfume, but it's right there. Ariana, is it Ariana Grande? Sorry, folks, Ariana Grande, the singer, right? Picture of her name, and then underneath it said, God is a woman. Right? She's God. You're God. We're all God. That's what your life is about, friends. That is so pathetic. It's so small. Life is about God. You are made for more 
than simply trying to be happy, trying to find peace, trying to be satisfied. You were made for more than your family, more than your career, more than even your greatest dreams. You were made for God, and he wants you to be all you can be for him. And in him, and for young people, you'll find this out sooner or later, apart from him, you cannot find happiness and joy and peace. It's all temporary. But satisfaction comes when we are in union with the one that we were made to be one with. So John writes us this letter and he says, the whole purpose is so that you will have life in Jesus' name. So that's what we're going to talk about today. It's about living on purpose for Jesus, knowing him, following him, and sharing him. So if you have a Bible or device, again, John chapter 1 is where we're going to begin in verse 35. God's got a purpose for your life. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So as we began this series last week, after John's prologue, Jesus is God, uh, and we'll get to that at Christmas, he then starts with, on the first day, here's John the Baptist, this guy before Jesus. He's out in the wilderness on the east side of Israel, the Jordan River. He's saying, here, Jesus is the Messiah. He's coming. This one is coming. And then on day two, uh, Jesus is baptized. John sees that Jesus is the chosen one, points him out and says, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's, he's our Savior. And so here we find the next day. So this is day number three. And John the baptizer, or John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. Now, who are these disciples? Well, one is identified as Andrew, but the other is not identified. And we believe it's John who wrote this book because as he writes this book, he doesn't identify himself. So here are two disciples of John the Baptist who's been saying, listen, we've been told that there's coming a deliverer, a savior, a messiah, the hope of the world. And we've been waiting for hundreds of years. He's finally here. He stands among you. He's so great, I'm not even worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. And these two disciples and the others following John the Baptist, they've been hearing about this. They see Jesus being baptized, and now John points out again, there he is, the Lamb of God. And these two disciples leave John and they start to follow Jesus. John the Baptist is not upset because his identity is not in himself. It's not his little story. There's a bigger story. It's about Jesus. So they're following Jesus. John is like, wait, go. And when Jesus sees them following him, what does he do? Verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So Jesus is leaving the Jordan River. He looks, he sees these two guys, and he asks them, what do you want? Like, do you have a question for me? Are you seeking me? Why why are you following me? And their answer is evasive. Because they don't want to ambush Jesus like the guy who says to the girl on the first date, I want to marry you. And the girl is like, whoa. right? They don't want to say to Jesus, 
all of our ancestors have been waiting for you for hundreds of years, the hope of the world, and now that we see you, we want to follow you every single day of our life, but rather they say, where are you staying? Can we get to know you? And by the way, young men, okay, I've heard maybe one story of someone saying, I'm going to marry you on the first date, and they got married, okay? But that's not a good strategy, so don't use it, okay? But they go. Jesus says, you want to know me? Come and see where I'm staying. And they spend the day with him. And notice what it says in the text. It was about four in the afternoon. How many of you were just curious? What time was it? Oh, it was four. I thought it was one. Like, why would John put that in there? It was the most significant day of his life. He spent the day with Jesus, the one he's going to follow. You remember the exact time. I don't know if if you've had like the best day of your life. You can remember very clearly that day. John said, it was about four in the afternoon. So they go to be with Jesus. Now, notice this. John the Baptist, God uses him to point Andrew and John to Jesus. But now God is going to use Andrew to point Jesus, or to point his brother Peter to Jesus. We read verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The first thing Andrew did after spending the day with Jesus was to go to find his brother And he brings his brother to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Oh, you're Simon, but you're going to be called Peter. How many of you have ever met someone like that? You introduce yourself. Well, I'm John. And they say, Well, from now on, you're going to be Luke. (laughs) You're Sarah. From now on, you're going to be Kim. Right? What's going on there? In that culture, parents named their children not because the name sounded right or sounded good. They named their children because what that name meant, they hoped that child would come to characterize that quality. And so here, the name Simon in Hebrew means to hear. But in Aramaic, Cephas means rock. And John the writer translates that into the Greek for his readers, Peter. Your Simon but you're going to be a rock. And friends, that's a reminder to all of us. Jesus saw the potential in Peter. You're going to be a rock. As a parent, you want to be with your children, looking at their good qualities and pointing them out and saying, I could see potential in you here. And we look at at Peter. Was he a rock when he was following Jesus? He was anything but a rock. He was a he denied Jesus, he fell on his face, he put his foot in his mouth, he just, number of mistakes. But after he saw the risen Christ, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he is a rock. God used him to share Jesus with so many people. Jesus says, Peter, you're going to be called Peter because there's coming a day, and you're gonna sh- I'm going to use you in a great way. John the Baptist to Andrew to Peter, that's day three. But then we also see on day four, Jesus inviting others to know him, to follow him, and to share him. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. 
Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Jesus, he's got Peter and Andrew and John, but now he goes after Philip, and he says, Philip, follow me. Now, why Philip? Philip was most likely a follower of John the Baptist as well. God was working in Philip's heart. The promised one is coming. I'm waiting, and Jesus says, follow me, and so Philip follows him. But notice then Philip finds Nathanael. And in Scripture, you'll find Philip and Nathanael, also, they usually go together, uh, suggesting that they're very close friends. And Nathanael would become a disciple of Jesus, sometimes called Bartholomew. So Philip and Bartholomew, Philip and Nathanael. So Philip goes to his close friend and says, we found who the prophets and the law, the Old Testament, the one that we've been told about, the one we've been waiting for, we found him. And what is Nathanael's response? Verse 46. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. We found him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael's like, whoa, time out. Nazareth? Philip's excited. Nathanael's unimpressed. In fact, Nathanael is skeptical. In fact, Nathanael is cynical. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Now, why did he say that in that day in the first century? Uh, well, Cana was close to Nazareth, and Nathaniel was from Cana, about four miles away, probably rival villages. But Nazareth in the first century had a reputation that was not good. They're small population, but there was a bunch of things. And he's like, nothing good comes from Nazareth. But to Nathaniel's credit, he goes with Philip to Jesus. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. When Jesus sees Nathanael coming at him, he says, Nathanael, you're a Jacobite, you're an Israelite, and Jacob... His ancestor was a deceiver. But not you, Nathaniel. You're not a deceiver. You're an honest man. And, oh, Nathaniel, I not only know you, but I, I saw you before. I knew where you were. You were under a fig tree. And that day in the first century, uh, some disciples would go under fig trees uh, to have their devotions. They'd pray. I saw you before Philip found you. You were under the fig tree. And so Jesus gives Nathaniel, who is cynical, just a little glimpse of who he is. And what's Nathaniel's response? I believe you are the promised one and connected to the Messiah was the Son of God and the King of Israel. And what's Jesus' response to Nathaniel? Jesus said, you believe. So Nathaniel, yep, you've got a little faith, just like a mustard seed, very small faith. Way to go, Nathaniel. You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree you will see greater things than that. Oh, Nathaniel, your faith, yes, you've got a faith, way to go. But you're going to see greater things. You're going to see an empty tomb. Your faith is going to become so much stronger, Nathaniel. And then Jesus adds this. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you, and that's in the plural form. So he's, Jesus is speaking to, to not only Nathaniel and Philip and Peter and Andrew and John. He's talking to them all. He says this, you will see heaven open 
and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So what, what, what's Jesus talking about there? He's saying to them, you are going to see heaven open. And in their day, in that culture, heaven open was an image of God, who is in heaven, coming down and intervening in human history. And this brought them back to their ancestor, Jacob, uh, whose name was changed to Israel, who had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. That Jacob had a dream, Genesis 28, and in that dream, Jacob saw a ladder or steps going from earth up to heaven and angels going up and down. And it was the picture that God was working, that God was going to use Jacob's line, the nation of Israel. God was going to get involved. And what Jesus is saying here to them is that you know, you know what began with your ancestor Jacob. I'm the fulfillment of that. In fact, I'm the ladder. Angels, in descending, angels ascending and descending on me. I'm the bridge between earth and heaven. And friends, that's the message we take to our world, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He's the bridge between heaven and earth. And just a little fact, too, for us to remind ourselves, that if we die as a follower of Jesus, we go to the presence of God, of Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But... Our ticket is a round-trip ticket. We're going to be with the Lord, but he's coming back to earth. John, who wrote this gospel, a little later wrote the book of Revelation, saw a new heaven and a new earth, the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and he heard a voice. The dwelling of God will be with man. We see heaven, the abode of God, and earth, the abode of man, merging into one. And Jesus, we're going to see him because he's going to be on a new created earth. In eternity, there's not two places, heaven and earth. There's one place. And he says, Jesus, you're going to see that I'm the bridge between heaven and earth. So in this text, we see Jesus inviting these first followers to know him, follow him, but he also invites them to share him. We read this in Matthew chapter 4. This takes place probably... A couple months later, we're not sure exactly the time frame, but this is a little while later. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So they're at the Jordan River, these first disciples invited to know Jesus and follow Jesus. A few months later, they're at the Sea of Galilee, and now the invitation is more formal. Come and know me and follow me, but also your calling is to share me that you will make fishers of men, that I am going to use you to tell people the greatest news they could ever hear. And Jesus reiterated that call, not just to those first disciples, but to, to all the disciples and by extension to us. And it's the very familiar Matthew chapter, 18, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, 
where Jesus says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Can I pause there just for a minute? Do you believe that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth? Do you believe there's a bigger story and that Jesus is in control of human history? Or do you believe what culture says? It's just about the here and now. Jesus does not have any authority. He's irrelevant. He died 2,000 years ago. Do you believe he has all authority? Jesus said to those people, to his first followers, who saw him on a cross and then risen again on the third day, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says to them, go and make disciples. Go and invite people to know me, to follow me, and to share me. Go to all the nations. That's why we have missionaries around the world, why we support missionaries here at Woodside, that they can take the message around the world and here in places in Canada. Go and then baptize them. Once they make a decision, put their faith in me, I want them to be identified with me. I want them to get baptized. And then I want you as well to teach them because I want to change them. I don't want them to be selfish. I want them to be unselfish. I don't want them to just be thinking about themselves but about other people. I don't want them to be mean and angry. I want them to be gentle and forgiving and calm. So go. And those first followers of Jesus did that. And the call for you and me as followers of Jesus is that we would do the same. But here's the question. Why are we not sharing our faith more? If Jesus really is true, he really is coming again, he really is the hope of the world, he really loves people more than anybody else, why aren't we going around sharing Jesus with everybody? At work, at school, next door neighbors. Again, because culture is saying things to us. And here's what we, a couple of reasons we don't share our faith as much as we should. First, we feel inadequate. I'm not perfect, and I don't have all the answers. I can't do it. But we need to realize that we don't need to have all the answers. We won't have all the answers. Notice when um, Philip brought Nathaniel, and Nathaniel had his prejudice against Jesus, right? How could the promised one be of Nazareth? Uh, I'm skeptical of that. Nathaniel's uh, Philip's response was, just come and meet him. Come and see him. And today, we have the similar thing. Jesus is connected, not to Nazareth in our day, but he's connected to hypocrisy in the church. He's connected to sexuality and gender issues. He's connected to so many things. And we have questions, and we're like, I could never answer those questions. What about sin and suffering and evil in our world? If Jesus is who he says, why do we have all of that? That's a hard question. What about people that have never heard about Jesus? What about them? And so we have all these questions coming at us, and like, I'm not going to say anything. But we need together as a church, and again, this is our burden as elders, that we need to say, God, just use me. I can say something. My answer is not going to change anybody's heart. You cannot convert anybody to Jesus. You can't make your children, uh, your neighbor, anyone say, 
I'm placing my faith in Jesus. Only God can do that. And the greatest missionary of, of, of human history that uh, God used to speak to more people than anybody is the Apostle Paul. And he says in Romans 1, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed. I'm a follower of Jesus. And he says, someone coming to, to belief in Jesus, it's not happening through me. It's happening through the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's the power of the gospel. That's what brings someone to faith. So even if you don't give the best answer and you're praying, God can still use you and still use me. If, if someone asks you a question, we can just say, you can say, I'm not sure in that. Let me get back to you. So we feel inadequate and throw in as well that we're not perfect. But the second reason is we fear being rejected. And our culture um, has moved more from being indifferent to Jesus and Christianity to almost being hostile towards it. Where if you say anything about Christ and Savior and all of that, uh, that offends me, right? Underlying that life is about me and life is about being happy, um, that plays out in so many different ways. Because if I'm really God, then I determine what's true. I determine what's good or bad. You don't tell me. You don't say any of that. That offends me. And so we don't want to offend anybody. Uh, Yenmi Park, who um, escaped with her family from North Korea, the most brutal regime in the world today, uh, a number of years ago, wrote a book, and, and she shared her story with many people. But Yenmi Park talks about living in North Korea, how they were brainwashed, how they were forced um, to live. And she shares how in that culture, like there's no internet, right? Because you are, there's one narrative, it comes from their leader and those in power, there's one narrative, and they tell you who you are, they tell you how to cut your hair, they tell you where you're going to go to school, if you're going to go to school, they tell you where you're going to work, they tell you everything about you. And you really can't move from just your little area. You need papers if you want to go somewhere just to the next village over. It's, it's a controlling regime. And people are forced to think a certain way. So she shares her story about how they were taught to think. And she said this. She escaped with her family. She now lives in, in the United States. And she said this. And it's kind of alarming. But she says it has been shocking to her that in the states, and we could say Canada too, in North America, people are being forced to think a certain way. That is alarming. She said the whole politically correct thing that is happening in our culture where there's no room for critical thinking, where there's no freedom of expression, it's happening. And she's right. It's, we're not in North Korea here in Canada, but there is a certain narrative that says, we're going to tell you how to think. Life is about you. We're not going to talk about your origin, where you came from. We're not going to talk about your destiny. Nobody's going to talk about meaning and pers uh, purpose in life and, and morals. Like This is all, we're telling you what it's going to be. If you bring it up, we're going to shame you. And so we here in our culture, for the most part, are become quieter and quieter. And in that culture has made the church kind of move towards what we call moralistic, therapeutic deism, 
where we gather at church to be good people and Jesus is kind of over here if we need him, if we need some help, but life is about us. And it's caused other churches to move to progressive Christianity where, oh, Jesus offends you in some of the things he said, so we're going to make Jesus real small because we want you to, to be happy with us. That's not Woodside. That's not our call. We at Woodside believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. And so the call for all of us is that we in the days ahead would be more intentional to say, you know what? I'm going to, the best I can, share him. Who has God put in your life? Who does he want you to share him with? And we'll talk more about this uh, in the days ahead and, and trying to, to reach out with the good news. But, but the question is, who has God put in your life? He wants to use you. You're not perfect. You don't know all the answers. You might be rejected, but that's okay because your story's not about you. It's about God. So I want to encourage you this morning that you would say, I want to be more intentional about sharing my faith. And uh, we're, um, we're asking you to take a magnet. You'll, you'll get it on your way out if you don't already have one. And these are four um, ways that we can be more intentional with, a, with our, the rhythm of life as we journey through life. This is not like, oh, add something to your life for the next, during the series. This is about the rest of our lives. And I'd like to quickly just introduce this, and we'll be talking about this as we go on. But the first step is this, look and pray. And we can all do that. Who is in your life, maybe it's a family member, extended family member, a neighbor, somebody you work with, that doesn't know Jesus? Look and pray. Begin to pray. Oh, Lord, would you help them to see you? Oh, Lord, would you be working in their life? And then secondly, ask and listen that you would care, that you would, uh, in your relationship with them, ask them, how are you doing? Do, do you believe in prayer? Have you ever prayed? What about God? And then thirdly, that you would uh, see and love, that you would say, Lord, how can I be a blessing to this person? They're not a project. You love them more than I love them. Can I get them a coffee? What can I do? And then number four is that you would invite and share given the opportunity, they would say, hey, would you like to, to uh, come with me to Christmas Eve service or to Easter service or to, to a life group or to, would you, would you like to watch online? You invite them or give an opportunity that you would share, hey, I don't want to offend you. I, you know, you're my friend or you're my family. I don't want to offend you, but can I just share what's really important to me? And that you would have John 3.16 memorized, for God so loved the world. You love me, you... That he, that he sent his son to die for me and, and I have life in his name and that's the most important thing to me and I hope that, that you too would see how much Jesus loves you or that you would share, here's what my life was like before I met Jesus and how I met Jesus and after Jesus, but you just say something for him. So as we move forward in this series, um, the challenge for us is that we would not only know Jesus and, and follow him, but that we would share him. Not out of guilt, but together we would want people to hear the greatest news they can hear. God is at work around our world. May we join him.